Hi, guys. Today we are talking about one of my absolute favorite topics, my favorite animal, elephants, where elephants are a group of animals, as you'll soon find out. For those of you who don't know, I did my PhD on African forest elephants. But before we get started, I have an announcement that I want to make. So as you guys know, I have been working on this book about careers in wildlife biology And I started creating a workbook to be released with it, too, because so many people contact me unsure of where they want to go in this career. And this career is just very confusing. That's one of the main reasons why I'm writing the book, because there's not a lot of good information out there about the different pathways to becoming a wildlife biologist. So I thought making a workbook with exercises would help people understand the job market more and themselves more. As I was doing this, though, I was thinking it would be better as a guided course with me talking to you guys in addition to the workbook. So I'm thinking about putting together a pilot group to look into this more. So if you're confused about your career in wildlife biology and need some clarity on the next steps, then this might be for you. It would be an eight-week program with weekly Facebook Lives with me to lead you through the different exercises. There would be an exercise each week, so like homework assignment. And the Facebook Lives would give you instructions on how to do the exercises and some tips for them. An opportunity for us to go over the previous week's exercise And also just an option for you to really ask me any questions about wildlife biology or this career. I get a lot of people emailing me. So if you're in this Facebook group, other people might ask questions that you might benefit from. In addition to going over the exercises, what you need to do and reviewing the exercises from last week and how they went, I'll provide time for open question and answer sessions with me so you can ask me anything on your mind about careers in wildlife biology, and I am happy to answer them for you. And the exercises are going to be all designed about figuring out what kind of job is best for you. So what kind of job that you want, but also based on past experiences, what do you, what kind of job do you think you'll be happy at? And it's really a time for you to understand the skills, experience, and education that you'll need to get these types of jobs, as well as a self-evaluation of where you are right now. So if you need some clarity on your career, then um, go to stephanieshutler.com, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-S-C-H-U-T-T-L-E-R.com forward slash confusion to clarity, all one word. There, I'm creating a form today, so this will be up by the time the podcast airs. There is just some information for you to fill out your name and your email address, and then I will send you some more information about this eight-week program. I am expecting it to start July 20th to September 7th, so we will wrap up right at Labor Day. And I just think this will be a really fun experience. So I hope you guys will sign up. Okay, now on to our main topic, elephants. I love them. We're talking today, though, about, unfortunately, something that is really tied closely to elephants and is, quite frankly, threatening their existence 
we'll break it down more in general about the possibilities of losing elephants and there's different species and the different risks that they have. But all elephants suffer from poaching. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. When I first went to Kenya in 2003 for a study abroad program, I was just totally mesmerized by seeing the elephants. Our program was located really close to Amboseli National Park, and this is where Cynthia Moss conducted her research. Now she's been researching these elephants for 50 years. She knows them all by name. Her whole research team knows them by name. They know when elephants are born. They know when they die. They know their, their family relationships. And because they are so well studied and because there's a lot of tourism in the park, these elephants are so calm. You can get really close to them. Like literally, they'll just be crossing the road and, and you'll park your car just, you know, in the middle of it's a dirt road in a national park. Or sometimes you'll see them like to the side of you and they'll be walking towards your direction. So you'll stop the car and they'll just like literally go like right in front of the car. It's, it's so amazing to be so close to such amazing animals. But when I went to Kenya, um, poaching was really a problem of the past there in the 1970s and 80s, it was a huge problem, decimated elephant populations. And that's when I first heard about poaching. And I remember watching on TV as a young girl, the ivory of elephants was set to fire in Kenya, and that made national news. So the reason why elephants are poached is primarily for their tusks, and when they are removed from the elephants, those are called ivory. And the ivory is sought after solely for design purposes. It is purely aesthetics. There is no need for us to have ivory at all. It's used in jewelry, statues, decorative objects. It's re a really great material to carve out of. So this is why it's so desired because you can make these really beautiful, intricate carvings, but it is n absolutely 100% not sustainable, no matter what people tell you if you were to try to buy it. And it is definitely causing the decline of many elephant populations. It is directly threatening elephant species. The, the main point that I got from Kenya was that like the elephant problem had been solved there. The elephant populations were growing. And if there were threats, it was stuff like drought. And they did this through Richard Leakey. He really formed the Kenya Wildlife Service and was the first director. And he had a really controversial approach, which was shoot to kill people who were poaching elephants. So if, you know, they were looked like they were poachers and ready to kill elephants, the KWS had permission to shoot to kill them. They didn't have to just shoot to injure them, scare them away. And like I said, it was a very controversial program, but it did work and the poaching 
largely stopped. There are, there's also a lot of other factors, too. There's a lot of government corruption that got cleaned up. That's definitely a, a big factor associated with poaching. But anyway, I came away from that thinking poaching was like an issue of long ago. But in I started my PhD in 2006. In 2008, I went to study forest elephants in Gabon, and these elephants suffer from way more poaching. But I myself had never seen any evidence of poaching, and we'll talk about why it's so difficult in the forest to notice that. But a couple of years later, one of my lab mates went to Kenya to do her research on savanna elephants, and she came back with a photo with her and an elephant that had been poached. And this was like shocking to me that in Kenya, where poaching had been controlled for so many years, and now they were having a problem again. And this has been going on across Africa that the poaching was at its all-time high sometime in the 2000s, even from earlier on in the 1970s and 1980s. And like I said, I just thought we got over this problem. I thought it was reduced a lot, especially in East and Southern Africa, not, not necessarily Central and West Africa, which we'll talk about. But I was really under the impression that poaching was no longer such a big issue. But that is definitely not true. More recently, there have been some studies that suggest that poaching has decreased in Africa since 2011. But what we're talking about today is that there was a new study that contradicts this. And it says it's a little bit more complicated and that that is necessarily not true. So today we're going to go into talk about elephants, poaching, what's going on, and hopefully we can get this problem under control. Let's start off with some context about elephants so we can understand the different problems across the world. There are actually three species of elephant. There is the African savanna elephant. That is the elephant that I talked about when I went to Kenya. Can you name the other two? Most people can usually name the second one, which is not not that these are necessarily in order, but the second one people usually name is the Asian elephant, the Indian elephant. Those are all the same thing. The third one, though, people usually don't know. I talk to a lot of different groups and hardly anyone ever guesses it. And part of the reason is because it's not a species that is officially recognized by the IUCN. And this is the organization that makes the red list of threatened and endangered species. So it's a very scientific organization. We'll talk a little bit about why it's maybe not listed as a separate species. Do you give up? Well, it is the African forest elephant. For a long time, scientists have recognized the forest elephant as a subspecies, but starting in about 1999, there were genetic studies done on African elephants showing that the forest elephant was indeed a distinct species. Even though the African forest and savanna elephant are on the same continent, they're in completely different locations. The savanna elephants are east and southern Africa, and forest elephants are west and central Africa. 
They're so different from one another. They're actually as different as an Asian elephant is from a woolly mammoth, which of course is an extinct species. So even though they share Africa and elephant, they're different. And these elephants all have different threats in addition to different behavioral features, genetics, habitats, morphologies. There are definitely differences between these animals, but they also vary in terms of what threats they receive. With Asian elephants, poaching is not as much of a threat to them as habitat loss. That's really the biggest threat and human-elephant conflict. Female elephants of the Asian species don't have tusks naturally, so that might be a big factor that is make them less desirable for poaching just because there's fewer elephants available that have ivory. But really, and especially places like India, which are so developed, there is just not that much space for elephants anymore. And they're confined to these protected areas and corridors that they've been using in the past to range between different areas are cut off. So they have to go through towns and villages Elephants are also notorious for crop raiding. Crops are just an easy source of food. And of course, the people who are growing those crops, if your crops are destroyed by elephants in a single night, that's your livelihood. You're you're going to be upset. And it's a lose-lose situation for them and for the elephants too, because people get mad and then they retaliate. Some people poison elephants. Recently, there was a story about someone giving elephants firecrackers, which I couldn't even, I could barely, I did open the story, but like I had to close it. It was so, it was so heartbreaking. But human elephant conflict is a real problem. The other problems are poaching. That's really the biggest threat to African savanna elephants and African forest elephants. And as mentioned before, with savanna elephants, it used to not be as much of a threat. And really, their bigger threats were, again, like Asian elephants, habitat loss leading to human-elephant conflict and crop raiding. Because of all the successful conservation efforts, Some elephant populations even did so well, they grew so much that they are actually causing negative effects on the environment. Again, because they're losing more of their natural space, their populations are growing, but they're concentrated in these protected areas and they're running out of space to disperse to. And when there's too many elephants in an area, they can cause negative features on the landscape that it can impact other animals. Elephants are keystone species. Those are species that have a dramatic impact on the environment. So if you remove them, there's cascading effects. A lot of people use the wolves and Yellowstone as an example of that. They're called ecosystem engineers because savanna elephants can tear, they can like uproot trees, knock them over. And, you know, they eat a lot so they can really change the environment and cause it to be a lot more open, not as many trees, not as many grasses when there's a higher concentration of them. Forest elephants suffer the most from poaching, but it is really hard to know exactly how bad poaching is because it's really, really, really hard to study. 
We know that between 2002 to 2011, that forest elephants declined in population size by over 60%, and they lost 30% of their geographical range. Honestly, though, those numbers could be low because a lot of poaching goes undetected. This is why it's so hard to study poaching in forest elephants, because they live in the forest. It's also why I had a super hard time studying them. For savannah elephants, you can easily see carcasses from the air. They do aerial surveys using planes to count animals, but you can also count carcasses as well. So it's much easier to fly across East and Southern Africa and to see poaching has taken place. But if you fly over Central Africa, where even though there's development going on, like mining and oil, when you fly over Gabon, so much of the country is covered with trees. Canopy cover is just continuous. You are not going to be able to see those carcasses, or you're not going to be able to see poacher camps with fires. It could be villages. You, you can't really distinguish between them, so it's much harder to see. And you also can't patrol the parks as easily, too. If you've ever been to East or South Africa, these parks have really well-developed road systems. Even if they're dirt roads, they're still easy to travel on. You can access them. Whereas with a park that I worked in, in Lope, in the northeastern part of the park, there was a small network of roads. But by far, most of the park was just forest. And if there are not people driving through those areas regularly, patrolling those areas, there could be a lot of poaching that happens, even in with protected areas, if those areas are not monitored by rangers, by boots on the grounds. So for forest elephants, poaching is very much so a direct threat to the species. The conservation implications of recognizing forest elephants as a separate species it would change the listings by the IUC for sure, at least for the forest elephants. They would be considered an endangered species. Right now, African elephants, including the savanna and forest elephants, are considered a vulnerable species. But if you were to divide them, the forest elephant would definitely be considered endangered. For savanna elephants, it probably would be raised to near-threatened because you have those populations and those countries that are doing really well at growing their elephant populations that it balances out ones that aren't doing so well. But for forest elephants, there's really no countries that are doing a great job of getting even their population stable. It's, they're just all in decline. And I think what's going on is that some scientists think that by dividing the species into two, that that will remove a lot of protections for the savanna elephants. And as I mentioned, although they're doing well in some populations, they're not doing well in other populations. So those populations that are doing really well might balance out for the other ones and then make the species as a whole near threatened and not vulnerable, which is a higher threat level. But but when studies come out about poaching 
And they say that it's decreasing. And this is what studies that have that have used MIC data. So MIC stands for Monitoring the Illegal Killing of Elephants. And these studies revealed that the poaching peaked in 2011, but have been decreasing since 2018. And these studies using the MIC data have reported that African parks have reported reductions or even complete stops in elephant poaching. And they were relating this to global ivory prices, which appeared to have peaked and then began to fall since then. And some attribute this to the ivory ban in China, which happened in 2017. And ivory prices have begun to fall Maybe because of that, it also seems like there is reduced demand in China. That's what survey results are revealing. But but this new study came out and the authors were suspicious of the different ways that the mic data was previously analyzed. And specifically, when you survey animals, there's usually problems in the data set. Your data always has some sort of bias associated with it, but usually... The reality of going out into the field never meets up expectations. So in the mic data between the years 2003 and 2018, about a quarter of all of the African sites, 27%, failed to report any carcasses. The study doesn't say that much more about it, but it does say that missing data are not random as many sites are missing data for continuous blocks of years or alternating years, and some sites report results more consistently than others. So what this says to me is that not necessarily that these areas are going carcass-free, that they're not finding any evidence of poaching, but that there may be situations on the ground that prevent them from doing surveys either at all or to the extent that they've done them in the past. There are a lot of political instabilities going on in the range where forest elephants live. I know that Andrea Turkala, who had been studying forest elephants the longest, at least 20 years, she's like the Cynthia Most of African forest elephants. She had to evacuate her research site from Central African Republic a couple of years ago because of the political situation there. And honestly, I'm not even sure if she is back there permanently. I think they've been back to the field site, and I think they have locals there protecting it again. But at one point, everyone had to leave, and elephants were definitely poached at the site, which is extremely sad. This site is a really amazing site. As I mentioned before, forest elephants are really hard to study in terms of looking for effects of poaching, but I mean, they're just hard to study in general. And you really need openings in the forest to be able to study them. I studied them in Lope National Park, which although is a forested park, it does have some savanna habitats where you can see forest elephants. But Andrea's work takes place in an interesting landscape feature called a bai. And these are natural clearings in the forest that have soils with really high mineral concentrations and animals of all different kinds will come to the buys to drink the water and eat the soils there to get some of the mineral contents. 
is a naturally maintained clearing by the animals in the forest. And of course, elephants are a big part of that, but also gorillas, dikers, lots of other animals. So she worked as Zanga Bai, which I think is the biggest Bai or monk. It's one of the biggest. And every single day there would be at least 40 elephants there, which is amazing. And she watched them continuously. So the elephants learned that it was a safe place for them to go because her presence being there would prevent poachers from coming. She works with a team of people and they knew they would get caught. But when the coup happened a couple of years ago, she was forced to leave CAR and I think it was 27 elephants were poached. Super sad. But I think they've got the situation back under control now. I'm not sure if Andrea is back there, but hopefully she can go back there. So that was a long explanation for saying, oh my God, that was long. It was a long explanation for explaining why it's not uncommon to miss data for continuous blocks of times. These scientists then use a different approach to account for these missing data, and they had different results. Basically, what they found is no decreases in southern, central, or western Africa. These other reports were saying that that poaching had basically stopped and their data revealed that it didn't. And the only area that had significantly decreased from 2011 was East Africa. So the previous studies seemed to be weighted by East Africa's efforts. And again, if you don't account for those species differences, protecting the East African elephants, the East African savanna elephants, is going to do nothing in terms of protecting the forest elephants because they're totally different species. Say that poaching affected the South African savanna elephants, then there would be a chance to relocate individuals from Eastern Africa and start new populations, although that's definitely challenging and something you want to avoid. But for forest elephants, if the poaching continues, they are really at a threat of becoming an extinct species because there's not even forest elephants in zoos. All of the elephants in zoos that you see are Asian elephants or African savanna elephants. So if these populations go under, there's no backup plan. And it's really important that we start to look at the data and the trends for the areas instead of lumping these two different species together as a whole and making decisions based on that. These other data are flooding the results of what's happening with forest elephants and we can't get the protections in place if they are obscuring their results. We need to continue helping elephants, continuing fighting poaching. We can't accept the narrative that poaching isn't that bad anymore. It's reduced. It's going down. That may be true for Eastern Africa, but not for the rest of Africa. So here's how you can help with poaching. You feel probably so helpless, so far away from this, and elephants are the best. You want to help them out. So what can you do? The most important thing that you can do is really donate to organizations that protect elephants on the ground where they live. The organization that I worked with in Gabon was a wildlife conservation society. 
They helped assist my research, get me in different field stations. I worked alongside a lot of those scientists and they do really amazing on the ground field work. A lot of these donations go to hiring rangers. This is great because it provides jobs for local people and it helps protect the elephants. Like I mentioned before, just having boots on the ground, people in the area deters poachers. And I also want to add here for people in more developed countries in the West and Europe to look at what's going on and say that people shouldn't be poaching their elephants. This is terrible. But what's going on right now is not even local people trying to make money. And these people, when these people have to poach, they're doing it because they need to make money. That's it's out of desperate measures. They don't they don't they want stable jobs. They don't want to have to do illegal activity. But really what's going on now is that the poaching is more organized by groups associated with gun trafficking, drug trafficking, terrorism. So they are more sophisticated organizations coming from other countries. They are not necessarily the local people killing an elephant here and there. It's really a sophisticated operation. In some cases, they have they have like helicopters and they just go to a buy and like will kill a bunch of elephants and leave. So really the local community is empowered when you support organizations like Wildlife Conservation Society. That's something that they really work on because they know that local communities are the key to conservation. If they want the elephants there, if they support the conservation efforts, if they benefit from the conservation efforts, then they will 100% want to make sure the elephants stay there. Another organization that I saw working on the ground in Gabon is the World Wildlife Fund. I met some great scientists from WWF, and although I did not work with them directly, they worked in a different part of Gabon than I did. They are also doing great on the ground, providing rangers, providing educational programs. One of my favorite ways to do the donation is... I'm not sure if they have a year-round or not, but around Christmas time, they definitely have these gift options where you can buy stuffed animal representations of the real species. So you can donate money for wild elephants and then get a stuffed animal as well. So that's a really great gift for kids or adult kids like myself. And I also know the African Wildlife Foundation does a lot of on-the-ground protections as well. Those are the three organizations I know for sure. I'm sure there are others out there that do great work. But if you donate to those organizations, you can definitely know that your money is going to be spent helping out elephants. The other way that you can help elephants that is super important is to really spread the word about ivory and poaching and what's going on right now. I'm in the United States, so a lot of my network is in the United States. So you might think that sharing it on social media or telling people is not going to do that much because in my world, I don't know anyone who's bought ivory. Although actually, I did see it sold in a flea market store I went to because it's a vintage piece and it came from elephants 1900s before any of this, any of these protections were enacted, were enacted. 
So there are a lot of pieces out there that already exist and it can be confusing to buyers. So don't make that mistake of thinking that like nobody in the United States buys ivory because it's definitely not true. At one point within the past few years, I'm still I'm not sure if it's still true. The United States was the second importer of illegal ivory around the world, the entire world. So most people, when they think about illegal ivory, they think of China because culturally they have used ivory and their decorations and their jewelry for centuries. But it is not just China, it's definitely other countries around the world. And it's really important that we spread this message. I didn't know that the East African populations were doing that bad. And I was an elephant researcher. Decreased interest for ivory product is really what's going to change it. So keep spreading the message. People also travel too. So make sure they don't buy ivory products. Don't trust the people selling you any products with wildlife. Do your own research. When I was in Gabon, I actually never saw ivory at the market except for once. And I went to the vendor and talked to them and I asked if that was ivory. I, I pretended I was interested in other stuff first. And then I asked if that was ivory. And he's like, yes, it is. And then I said, but doesn't that come from elephants? And he said, yes, the elephants shed their tusks that you just find the ivory like in the ground, <laughs> in the forest somewhere. And that they just collect it. And I was like, well, I thought you had to kill the elephant to get the tusks. And then... He changed his story and he's like, yes, we, we find elephants naturally dead in the forest and we use the ivory. They will say what they need to say to sell the product. So make sure you do your own research. Don't buy wildlife products when you're traveling internationally because they almost always have a negative backstory. We still got to keep spreading the news that ivory is a gigantic threat to elephants. No pun intended. Continue to donate, donate and advertise your donations so you can encourage other people to donate too. And the third way is by writing to your government and helping them and asking them to have stronger protections for elephants and in banning ivory. When Obama was president, he definitely used federal money to support actions to reduce elephant and rhino poaching, which also reduces terrorism as well. Also, there were some changes to the U.S. laws about allowing ivory into the United States because you can legally hunt elephants in some countries. As I mentioned before, there are a lot of countries that have a lot of elephants and hunting is actually one of the ways in which they do community-based conservation. And people will pay a lot of money to hunt an elephant in an African country and then they can ship the ivory back to the United States. But in 2006, a U.S. ivory ban was passed that closed most of the ivory trade in the United States with some exceptions like the antique exceptions. 
So the U.S. government does have a lot of power and weight in this, and our laws can definitely affect the livelihood of elephants. So make sure that even subscribing to organizations like the Wildlife Conservation Society and World Wildlife Fund's newsletters, you can stay on top of these issues. I know they send out a lot of online petitions and things like that, but they'll send you alerts if something big is going on in the country that the government needs to hear from us about elephants. Decreased interest for ivory product is really what's going to change it. So keep spreading the message. Keep staying positive. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing day. I'm sure we'll be talking about elephants again in the future because I didn't even really talk about living elephants. If you loved this episode on elephants, I also had a discussion with Dr. Scarlett Smash and Dr. Kraken on the Marine Science Happy Hour. It's a really fun podcast. And of course, I'm not a marine biologist. I study wildlife, especially elephants. So we compared and contrasted elephants with different marine mammals. And they are not genetically related to one another, but they share a lot of similar intellectual capabilities and other interesting behavioral features so make sure to check it out it's episode 200 you can also check me out in episode 199 where i talk about being a fancy scientist in general and science communication thank you guys so much for listening be nice to each other and be nice to animals